You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. All right, now we're, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, but let me review just a little bit. Um, somebody tell me, uh, let me, let me t- I'm going to go through what we've talked about. We talked about the, the canon and all that, uh, how we got the canon, where the Bible come from, how was it assembled, all that. But uh, then I've gone through some things. I've said the Bible is, and up there I think it says the Bible is inspired. What does that mean? What's that? God breathed. Okay. So, um, so, but what does that mean? And I mean, that's what it that's what it means, right? Literally, it means God breathed. But what does that actually mean? It's all true. Okay, and we're going to get to that, right? Okay, so it was from God. It wasn't just God suggested. It wasn't that God kind of gave them feelings about what to write, but God breathed out what is written uh, in our scriptures. Now, uh, we also talked about the Bible is infallible. What does that mean? We're going to get to that, but what does infallible mean? What's it? It can't be destroyed. It won't. It won't fail, right? So if the Bible says it will do something, it will do it. It will always accomplish what it what it says it will accomplish. Okay. What is inerrant? Yeah, without errors. So uh, there are no mistakes in the Bible. Um, are are there things in Scripture that sometimes don't seem quite right to us? Yeah, but why? Because it's our lack of understanding. And every tough passage that you go, ooh, boy, I don't know, Matthew says this, but Mark says this, that there is a solution because sometimes we read it and we go, well, it's chronological. Where in one one book it might say Jesus did this and then this, and another book might say Jesus did it in the opposite order. Because some of the authors were not writing chronologically, but they were writing just historical facts or facts for us to know. Um, then we talked about the Bible is understandable. That obviously means that it can be understood, right? Now, um, why? give me some reasons we don't sometimes understand what it says. What's that? We didn't study it, right? Okay. The Bible says, does the Bible say, read the Bible to know, uh, to, just to show that self-approved unto God? It says study to show that self-approved unto God, Okay. Now, study, by the way, should not be, I read that verse, let me go see what a commentator says about it, okay? We ought to study the Word of God, and then we can cross-reference, and it's okay to read commentaries, understand, commentaries are not Bible, they are not infallible, they are not inerrant, they are not um, inspired, okay? But, can they be helpful? Sure. But we should try to understand the Word of God by reading the Word of God, more than just a verse at a time, but understanding and saying, okay, here in... In this passage, it talks about this. Where else in Scripture does it talk about this? And look that up and see what God says about, um, about it in multiple places. Okay? What, what's another reason we don't understand? Okay. Yeah, may, maybe, well, maybe it's in another language first. Right? Um, you know, and we'd say, well, here's your Spanish Bible. I forget what they call it. Uh, thanks, I don't understand it. You know. um, I'll, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, in fact, let's talk about it now. Um, somebody said to me one time, they said, and I think I may have mentioned this recently, but somebody said to me, uh, we don't need, um, and I, I said, we need to understand some of these words, especially in our King James. We need to understand some of these words and what they meant. 
there, there are, one author puts it this way, that there are dead words. There are words that simply do not exist in our language anymore. Okay? Um, there are false friends, is what he calls them. Um, what's that guy's name? What's that? Mark Ward. Yeah, Mark Ward. Um, there are false friends, which means to us, in fact, somebody just before church, I mentioned this, um, the word conversation. I was talking to Shannon. The word conversation, we think of it as the way we talk. The word conversation in scripture means the, 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 your character revealed in your lifestyle. Okay, so that's a lot more than just the things that come out of your mouth. So that would be a false friend. It means something different today. Uh, prevent. We will not prevent them which are asleep, right? Those that are alive and remain will not prevent them. What does that mean? We're not going to stop them? That means we won't go before them. Um, what's another one? Um, Genesis, God told Adam and Eve to replenish the earth. Now, a misunderstanding of that verse can lead to what's known as the gap theory. Okay? What does it mean to replenish? That means, you know, hey, I've got a water bottle. I drank it all. I'm going to replenish it with more water, right? That's how we use that word. But when that word was originally translated, replenish meant it meant an urgency to fill. Okay? And so if, if God told Adam and Eve to replenish the earth, and that, that's a false friend, because if we, if we read that, we go, well, there must have been people here before. And now we go back to the, the gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, that there was these billions and billions of years after God created the heavens and the earth, and there was people alive then. What's one of the problems? I'm getting way off track here. What's one of the problems with that? That the gap theory, and that there was people before. Yeah, where did they go, right? Right, but, but that's what they would say, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there was these billions of years where man had lived, where there was a human man, mankind that had lived. And then, then you go to Genesis 1. Here's, one of the, here's the main problem with that. Well, besides it's wrong. Um, is that that means that there was death on the earth before sin. Right? So you, it, there can't be. The gap theory is disprovable easily just by that. Okay. So, false friends, um, so we need to study those words. We need to understand. If you're going to study the Word of God, and you should, you need to be able to look at those words. And so, I realize that not all of us are going to know Greek and Hebrew. So, how do we do that? We find a good concordance. We say, okay, here's what, the strongest concordance is a very reputable one. There's other ones. Um, and you can go to, um, you can go to uh, different Bible dictionaries, and you can look those words up and say, okay, what did that actually mean? And so I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to, what's another one that I was just thinking about is, I think I mentioned it last week, um, that we're, we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. Well, we should, right? If it looks like we're doing bad, then we ought to be really cautious. That's, that's one thing. But that means to abstain from all types of evil, all forms of evil. And so when you study the Bible, look up what words mean. Okay, so uh, we don't understand it. That's one. That, why do we understand it? Why? Because the language... Okay. What else? Interpretation. Interpretation. Okay. Now, why would our interpretation be off? Personal lives. Yeah, personal lives. We want it to mean something. And what some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight, people have got it wrong because they want it to mean something, and they take a verse out of context without studying it. They want it to mean something, so they misinterpret. I think the last one that I can think of, and if you have more, that's fine. But the last one I can think of is because we don't want to understand it. Again, it goes back to personal bias. I don't want to know that. And so I'm not going to study it. I'm not going to look it up. Okay? Well, we left before we started reading it. We went through and we 
Yeah, and Peggy just said when you before you get into the Word, you go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to teach you what He wants you to know. So um, there is a difference in understanding the words and the language, and understanding what that means, right? Um, for instance, um, I, I had somebody once tell me that um, it, I'm not going to get. I don't want to get into translations and. And that argument tonight, okay? We can have that discussion. But um, I had somebody say to me, well, you don't need to understand it. Because I said, well, what about some words that we don't understand? Shouldn't we be able to look those up? Or you know?" And uh, he, he said, you don't need to understand it. God will reveal it to you. And I was like, okay. If that's the case, why do we have an English translation? If I just have to read the words, doesn't matter if I understand them. God will reveal it to me. You see the problem with that? Um we need to be able to understand the words, but the Holy Spirit has to reveal to us what that means, if that makes any sense to you. And I, I, to me, it doesn't. It doesn't mean it does to you, but anyway. Okay, any other ideas of why, it's, why sometimes we don't understand? Mike? Um, just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man receives not the Spirit of God, and foolish That's a great one, Mike. So what's the answer? Why don't, why don't we understand it? Why don't some people understand it? Yeah. Okay, the natural man. He's not saved. Or could that, and I don't know, I haven't studied, I'm sure I studied that at one point, but uh, could that also mean you're operating in the flesh? Maybe a believer who is putting aside the spirit and is operating in the flesh. Okay. But yeah, the natural man. That would be another reason we don't understand it. Okay, uh, anything else on that before we move on? All right, then we talked about, um, I don't think we got to this. The Bible is sufficient. All right, so go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, this is a passage that we, we're going to use a lot as, in a discussion about the Word of God and its, uh, it, the reliability of it. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, well-known passage, and we've covered parts of this verse, but I want to start with verse 15. Uh, of course, Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy, he had a grandmother, Eunice, no, grandmother Lois, and a mother Eunice, I think I got that right. Um, and he says, they taught you the Holy Scriptures in verse 15. And from that a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All right, so Scripture does one thing. It brings salvation. It is, it is what is able to make somebody wise unto salvation. It is the Word of God. Your testimony to someone else can be a part of your witness, but the Word of God has to be uh, what, what, where faith comes, come, faith comes from. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of a witness. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the testimony of another believer. No, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. We've talked about that. Brian talked about that. It feels like forever ago. Um, but I just keep rehashing everything. Verse 17. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. What does that mean? Again, that's, that's a false friend. Complete. Mature. Okay? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay. So here's what, here's what the Bible does. It is sufficient to bring the man of God to a place of spiritual maturity. It's, he, he, the Bible gives us all that we need to understand about what God wants us to do for salvation and for obedience. Salvation in verse 16, 
uh, I'm sorry, in verse 15, and then obedience in verse 17. So when attempting to live this Christian life, is Scripture enough instruction for us? Yeah. Do you need the preacher? No, you need the Word of God. Now, the preacher is fulfilling a role and a duty to proclaim the Word of God. And my wife said to me Sunday, uh, after the, the sermon on Peter and the rock, and she said, I'm just glad you study for hours and I get to come in and get the Cliff Notes version of it. That's what she told me Sunday. So, um, but, but it is our responsibility to study the Word of God, but the Word of God has it. So you go, man, I tell you what, the Word of God's just not doing it for me. I need to hear what Pastor Stephen has to say. No, Pastor Stephen needs to give you the Word of God, the Word of God, and you need to get the Word of God on your own also, and the Word of God does the work. And so there's other books. Are devotional books good? They can be. Um, I found myself using devotions. Charles Stanley's, well, he, he doesn't send them out, but um, his uh, ministry sends out a, a daily email. I delete it every day. I don't watch, I don't listen to it. Not because it's bad. It's just, it's, it's I want to dig deeper than just that one thing. And so I, I've stopped using that, but they're not, they're not a bad thing. Um, church history, history of the saints, spiritual mentors. These are all people that are beneficial in our walk with Christ. And they're beneficial in helping us to understand and apply Scripture. But it never equates to or supersedes the authority of Scripture. Now, when, when preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, um, I preached through the Sermon on the Mount when I first came here. It was like the first series I did on Sundays, um, Sunday mornings. Uh, but then we went through back through Matthew chapter 5. And both times I made the statement that I... I want to be as narrow-minded as Jesus was. Does anybody remember the rest of the statements? I've made it a couple times. I want to be as narrow-minded as Jesus was, but I don't want to be more narrow-minded than Jesus was. Uh, in other words, if, if God says, here's the line, I want to draw that, I want to be on that line. I don't want to draw my own lines on either side of his line. Now, I might say I'm going to have a standard because I don't want to get close to the line. That's fine. But I can't draw a line and say, this is what God says when God says something else. So I want to I make sure that my, my focus and my preaching and my study is revealing what God says, not what I think. So the Bible does not give us every detail of how our church should operate. And it certainly doesn't give me every detail about how my life should run. But it does give me principles to operate on. And if I follow those principles, then I can live a life pleasing to the Lord. In other words, the Bible doesn't tell you what job to take. Certainly, they, they will tell you there are maybe some jobs you shouldn't take. The Bible's not going to tell you what house to live in or what car to drive. The Bible's not even going to tell you what church to go to. Certainly, we can learn some churches not to go to through Scripture. But there are good churches. There are many good churches. So which one do we go to? Well, we study the principles of the Word of God. We allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We pray, we seek Him, and we allow Him to lead us and guide us as we make those decisions. And the Scripture, in other words, Scripture is sufficient for all of that. And so it doesn't give me every detail for living life. Don't you wish it did sometimes? But here's what we would do. We'd go, I don't agree. I don't believe it says what you think it says. You know, we'd find a reason. Um, but God, I love that. That's, that's part of our liberties. God gives us principles. He gives us guidelines. He gives us structure. He gives us all that so that based on that, we can have liberty to make decisions. And in those decisions, our liberty is not to fulfill our lust. Our liberty is to, is to please him better. Um, and because if God said, here's how you need to do this and you need this, and, and everything was spelled out, it would get outdated. Because jobs change, you know. Different, there, would, there, would, there would arise a situation where scripture is not sufficient. If that's all he did was give us specific answers to specific questions. But instead, he gives us principles to live by.
Okay. Now, uh, the last point, but it's also a longer one, is that the Bible is preserved. The Bible is preserved. Isaiah 48, 40, verse 8, says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God has promised to preserve his word. But what that means is also divisive, or it also can be misunderstood. Um, now, I'm going, to, I'm going to read you from Psalm chapter 12. Verse 5 says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. We talked about that verse last time, right? That doesn't mean that the words of the Lord have been purified seven times, because as soon as they came out, they were pure. They didn't need to be purified. But they're as pure as silver that has been tried and purified seven times. Verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Now, I'm not going to use that passage to, um, to back up this idea of God's word being preserved. And some of you have heard this, and I, I, I tend to lean this way, that when it says the words of the Lord are pure, I'm sorry, uh, the words of the Lord are pure words and silver tried in the furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I believe that God does keep them and preserve them. But in the language, the, the Hebrew there, which I'm not an expert on, but the best of my knowledge, best of my study, uh, the language there that God is going to keep them is not talking about his words. It's talking about the poor and the needy that it talks about in the previous verses. Because then in the following verse, the wicked walk on every side when the violence are exalted. Now, okay, so regardless of what you believe about that verse, is it still clear that God has promised to preserve his word? Um, some of man's interpretation of this doctrine can be dangerous, though, that God's promised to preserve his word. What, what does that mean, that God's promised to preserve his word? Well, it means he's promised to preserve his word. But people have taken those things to mean things that they haven't. Um, Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Some people have taken that verse to say, well, there's a perfect copy of God's word in heaven. And we don't have it here, but there's a perfect copy in heaven because it says he has preserved it. Now, wouldn't that go along with God has preserved his word? Forever? Wouldn't that go along? It, it does. Is that what we're learning from Psalm 119.89? That it's preserved in heaven. And um, what that would mean is that we don't have his pure words on earth. Okay? So now, if we don't have his pure words on earth, how are we supposed to live a life by the word of God if we don't know if we have the word of God? And we don't know what parts of it are the word of God. Now, um, another problem on the other side of it is... The idea that man's that God's word has been preserved and it was perfected in English. Okay, there are there are some. Anybody ever heard of Ruckmanism? Okay, um, I, Ruckmanites. Ruckmanism is this uh, was. I'm not going to bash the guy, but just I'm not going to bash, bash him just because he was married four times. But anyway. Um, the, the, the guy who, who was the perpetuator of Ruckmanism, Peter Ruckman, um, he claims that the King James Version, or the King James Bible, as he would say, is God's perfect word for man today. Question, 
Why English? Why does English have the only perfect word? As Americans, sometimes we become very Americanized, very English-focused. Okay, uh, This idea that God preserved his word, um, th- th- there's a thing, that's part of this recommendation is double inspiration. And what that means is that God inspired the original, right? Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. Uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yeah, uh, that's sixteen. Uh, now, so did God inspire the authors to write down His Word? He did. Double inspiration says that He also inspired the translators who translated the King James Version. There's no basis in Scripture for that. And again, if God was going to do it, why did He choose English? So what, what some have said and what some have believed is that there's, there's, an ex, there's a second inspiration um, and, and some even take it as far as to say that the King James Version corrects the manuscripts. So the manuscripts might have had some errors in them because they weren't the originals. We don't have the originals. So they might have had some errors in them. And so instead the King James Version came along and corrected those things. Okay? That's dangerous. And it's unbiblical. Uh, you can't find that in the Word of God. God did, though, say He was going to preserve His Word. So what does that mean? Now, we already read Isaiah 40, verse 8, uh, where it says, The grass withered and the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Uh, Matthew twenty-four thirty-five says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay, do we have the original manuscripts, that, the original autographs, as they call them? No, we don't. We don't have them. We don't have, uh, we have copies of the original autographs, okay? So he wasn't talking about preserving the original autographs. But Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, my word shall not pass away. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24, for all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So, is God going to preserve his word? Yes. Is everything else going to pass away, but God's word will remain? Absolutely. Now, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 5.18. And we talked about this back when we covered Matthew chapter 5. But he said this, that not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Now, if you remember, I dealt with that then, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I'm I'm going to go briefly over that. The jot. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. In Greek, it is called the iota. And people say, I don't, I don't care one iota about what you're doing. They're saying, I don't care the smallest little bit about what you're talking about. Um, so because of its size, it seems insignificant. So what Jesus said is no jot, not even the smallest iota, will pass from law. The tittle is a small marking on, on Hebrew letters that it differentiates between two letters. So in English, we might think of the, the cross on the T or we might think of the dot on the I. But I think even better characterized is on, a, on an A or an O, on a small A or a small O. The only difference is the little tail that comes off of the A, right? And so we could, have you ever, I get cards and I try to send people um, the thank you note for visiting. I sent one out today. And... Um, so I sometimes, today's was pretty easy, but sometimes I read these addresses and I can't tell if it's an A or an O. And so I've got to Google the address and try to figure out where do they actually live. So what, is, is it dangerous if that one little marking is gone? Well, yeah, it is. Now, um, 
Let me give you a couple of examples of words that would change. If this, the, just the corner, uh, the meaning of something that would change, if just a little corner of a letter was gone. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. It would change from saying, thou shalt worship no other God, to thou shalt not worship the only God. You see the difference in one little tittle as in Hebrew. Um, Levit- Leviticus 22, 32. It would change from neither shalt thou profess Profane my holy name to neither shall you praise my holy name. All because of one little marking on a letter. So what is Jesus teaching us here? Is he teaching us that we will always have the originals? No, we don't have those. Is he teaching us that we will always have the exact writings of Moses down to the smallest stroke of a pen? Nobody wants to answer. So I, I don't think that's what it's teaching us. Now, that's my thought. Okay, but let me let me give you my case for that. Um, now we know. First, let me back up. The Old Testament scriptures were painstakingly copied, weren't they? Uh, the scribes would sit down and they would they would very carefully write when it came to the name of God or Yahweh. They they wouldn't write the vowels, and uh, they say they would go bathe themselves before a, they wrote it. They would get a new what's the, not a pen, but whatever they called it, a quill, I guess. Yeah. And they would, and they would, they they took such care, especially in reverence for the name of God. But when they would write, after they would copy a book, they would say they would know the center, the middle letter of that whole book was whatever letter it was. And so they would go through if there's if there was ten thousand letters in that book, they would go back and they would find letter number five thousand, yeah, five thousand, and uh, and then they would say, okay, it should be an iota. But it's not an iota. So what did they do? They threw it out and they started over. All that work because they didn't find the right one. So were they painstaking in their copying? Yes. But are, were they painstaking? Do we have the same care taken with the Greek New Testament scriptures? And we don't. We don't have that um, like, like was done for, uh, for the Old Testament. So there's little discrepancy really about the accuracy of the Old Testament. Uh, pretty much... There's, there's very little disagreement on uh, uh, very much there. But many have used this passage to argue for a perfect New Testament manuscript. That one jot or tittle will not pass from the law. But this isn't the law, and it wasn't written with jot and tittles. It was written in Greek. Um, Jesus promised the preservation of the law. We are also promised the preservation of God's word. But let me, let me make this case to you. It's not about letter formation. It's not about the tails on the ends of the letter. But it is about the message. Um, God would preserve his word so that Exodus 34, 14 would not be understood as thou shalt not worship the only God. Leviticus 22, 32 would not be understood as neither shalt thou praise my holy name. God promised to preserve his word. If it was about the letters or even the words, it would require the Hebrew and the Greek to change a person's heart. If it was that you, we, we must have every punctuation that they put in there. We must have this to understand or to have the word of God. And it's the word of God that changes lives. That we cannot possibly be saved by studying the English translation. Because it doesn't have the job until, right? It doesn't have the markings. Um, the message of the gospel uh, changes the hearts and it changes hearts in whatever language a person can understand. 
if you've ever taken a foreign language class, you, you, would, under, you would know this, that, um, that that sounded rude, if you would have ever taken it. No. If you have taken a foreign language class, you understand that not everything, um, not every word translates into one other word. Like, here's one word, here's one word. Not everything has a one-word translation. Um, uh, the King James is a literal translation, and I love that about it. I want a literal translation for my studying, for my preaching. Um, but it is, and it's not a thought for thought for translation, but that is not a word for word translation because that's basically impossible and it wouldn't be readable if it was a word for word. It is a literal and sometimes uh, sometimes it's a word for word. And sometimes it has to be a thought for thought. Um, let me read you this verse in Young's literal translation for now, Young's literal translation is not meant to be a translation that you use for preaching and teaching. It's just to help you see what literally those words are translated to me. Here's what it says. For, verily I say to you, till that the heaven and the earth may pass away, one iota or one tittle may not pass away from the law, till, all, till that all may come to pass. All right, it means basically the same thing. Um, but it used different words because it was a literal translation. But it doesn't read as well. It doesn't flow. Um, now, uh, before before we had the Textus Receptus. Now, the Textus Receptus really, as we know it, wasn't completed until after the King James Version was translated. But um, in the, uh, what they call the Byzantinian text now, but uh, that the King James was translated from, before we had that, did the Word of God change hearts? Okay. Does that mean... That we had the word of God, because it is the word of God that changes our lives. Does that mean we had the word of God before that? Absolutely. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm not destroying the law, I'm fulfilling it perfectly. Every insignificant part, it was intended to happen. Now, let, let, me, let me finish this part with this. When Jesus said every word, let me go back to that verse. He said in verse uh, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. When Jesus said that, he said, uh, I'm sorry, not there. Um, I got to find it. Um, I read a verse that every word, every word would be preserved. Um, now, I'll, I'll have to find it. Because I can't remember where I had it. Um, I got too many notes here. Uh, so every word, here's what he said. Panti uh, remadi. Okay, that's the Greek word, and it, it's it's those are forms of the word pas rema. Does anybody remember what pas is? P A S in English. It means all. Okay, all rema. The word rema uh, means word. It means words, but um, it is, we, and I've covered this before, but it is, its use is mostly not as a singular word. Um, it is translated other places as translated saying. Now, in translation, it, 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 it is translated word, clearly speaking of speech or narrative. Let me give you an example. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter remembered the word. Which word did he remember? 
Yeah, but did he remember before the cock crowed, thou shalt deny me thrice? Which one of those words did he remember? That caused him to go out weeping. It wasn't one word, right? He remembers the saying. He remembers the words of Jesus. Here, here's the point. God has preserved his teachings, his commands, his thoughts, his ideas, his musings, his oracles, however you want to put it. He has preserved those. And we have every bit of it here on this earth. We are, we are blessed to live in a day when it is readily available. And, it, it's, and it, we have it entirely at our fingertips. Now, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure where you're coming down on this. Here's where I'm coming down on it. We have the word of God. Um, it, people, people want to argue versions. I don't argue versions because um, the Bible doesn't talk about versions. But I do believe that in my study that there is a better text. And I do believe that the King James is a reliable um, version. But you must understand what the words mean. Or you're going to be misled in some certain areas. Um, the King James is what we use for preaching and teaching here. It's all that is allowed to be used for preaching and teaching here in our building, here publicly. Um, why? Well, that was a standing. That was a. That was the. Um, that was the standard before I got here. But uh, we use it because it's reliable. Does that mean? Let me ask you this question. I get myself in trouble, but I don't care. Does that mean there could never be another English version? Could it be that there's other English versions that are accurate and reliable and trustworthy? Um, let me ask you this. Um, there is the... Uh, we, have, we have like 500 versions in English of the Bible. Okay? Um, and, and some would say some are perversions. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are really bad. Some of them are terrible. Um, a lot of them are terrible. But, okay, so if we have... Um, if we have those in English, and there are some languages that do not have a copy of God's Word. At least, uh, almost none, maybe even, but certainly not all of the Word of God. Uh, who, Bill Fennell, um, Worldview Ministries, he came here, f preached for us, presented their work. It was amazing, alright? If, um, if they don't have, uh, they're going out and they're translating into these different languages. They go out and they translate into another language. Um, those people, are they, are they translating it into their language 400 years ago, or are they translating it into their modern language? They're translating it into their modern language, okay? So other people across the world are getting it in their modern language. If, if we can't understand, if we get to the point where the words have changed so much, English has changed so much that we can't understand properly the language, the, the version that we're using, is it possible that there could be another version that would be more modern, and nobody likes the word modern, uh, especially in the Baptist church, but something that's be more modern that is accurate, reliable, and trustworthy. They have, absolutely. Um, again, we need to understand our scriptures. In fact, if you go back and you study uh, what the translators, I don't think I have it in the preface here. I don't think my King James Version has a preface in it. Uh, but in the original King James preface, the translators said they were, they were passionate that people needed to have the, language, the, the Bible in their vulgar tongue. We... This is not our vulgar tongue. The word vulgar sounds bad to us, but it just simply means the common tongue of mankind. Okay, so do we have it in our vulgar tongue? Well, it's getting further and further from that. Is, is, am, I, am I saying the King James is? The King James is amazing. Probably the best translation in English that's ever been made. I, I, I really do believe that. Um, but should we say, boy, uh, you know, English is around for another, another 1,500 years, that this is still the only version? And there are those that say that. 
This is the only version that God, that God has preserved it from English-speaking man, and it will never be another. That's simply not in Scripture. In fact, English is not in Scripture. You go, but I have a whole Bible full of English Scripture. No, uh, the, the language of uh, understanding the, the language that we speak is not in Scripture. I am so grateful to live and speak a language that we have the preserved Word of God, but that doesn't mean that we have the only preserved Word of God. Because God loves English more than He loves all the other languages, right? So we just need to uh, we need to understand um, that God has preserved it. But that doesn't mean that every comma that's in your King James version is inspired, and every period is inspired. It, in fact, a lot of those words, all the italicized words, were added by the translators to clarify the meaning. Uh, there, there's so many more places we could go with this, but um, I think I've. I think I've laid the case out there. We have the word of God. We can trust it. And uh, I, I truly believe that when, when properly, under, when properly um, translated, okay? So when I'm saying translate, I'm saying when we understand the, we have a good, solid, trustworthy translation. And when properly interpreted, we can properly apply it. We have what we need. We just have to interpret it properly and then we can apply it properly. Um, I'm thankful to. I'm thankful. We are blessed to be Americans to have this English version. Um, so um, I'm not making a case uh, for Ruckmanism, but I'm also not making a case for anti King Jamesism. I am making a case for anti King James onlyism. It's simply not biblical. There's no basis for that in Scripture. But we have His preserved word. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.